So I called myself an atheist in eighth grade. I'm like, I didn't know what an atheist was. I just knew I didn't believe in God. Uh, and so I chose not to go to church until one day a friend invited me to go to church. I'm like, I don't want to. And so I didn't go because, you know, you can't peer pressure me into going anywhere. Uh, the more you try, the more I say no. But he tried to get me to go. and I said, no, I'm not going to go. So he went without me. And then he came back and he told me just how much fun it was. I'm like, you know what? I'm in eighth grade. What am I really doing on a Wednesday night anyways? It's nothing. So I decided to go. Nothing changed. I didn't believe in God. Um, but once I did, once I did say I believed in God, once I did tell people I went to church, once I did call myself a Christian, you couldn't tell anything was actually changed. By the way that you looked at my life, whenever I started saying I was a Christian, based on before, you couldn't really change. Does that sound like anybody you know, any friends that you have at school? You don't have to point anybody out. Don't point, don't point. But I came for, for, to church for months anyways, every week. I just came. I, I had nothing better to do. I came because it was fun. Um, I had nothing better to do. But one of those times I came, something changed, something clicked, and something actually made sense. And it wasn't because my youth pastor was preaching such good messages that I'm like, that just finally makes sense. And that, I, it just clicked with me. No, it's not why. It's because something changed inside me and I wanted to seek after God. I wanted more. I wanted his power. I wanted to experience God. Like if, if everything he was saying was true, I wanted that to be real. That is what changed. And so one night I prayed and the power of the Holy Spirit came on me and I was changed from the inside out. That was, that was a night and day experience for me. But that night and day experience does not happen for everybody we know that. Some people, they come to church, they, they, they raise your hand, they give it off to Jesus, and they're slowly changed, and that's fine. But you still have to ask yourself, has something changed? doesn't have to happen overnight, but is something changing? Are you different whenever you call yourself a Christian or not? So after that moment, everything changed in my life. I no longer really cared about what people thought about me. My life was changed. And it felt so good. And I wanted everybody to have the very same experience that I had. Because I knew what my life was like before Jesus. I knew, I, like, what's the purpose? What's the meaning of this? I tried to find it in all the wrong places. But I knew I finally found something that was real. And I wanted everyone to experience that that I could. And so it started one day when my freshman year, my youth pastor, he gave a one-month Bible challenge. He says, for one month, I want to challenge you to carry this around everywhere you go. He said, it's going to be weird. People are going to ask you, what are you doing this for? And when you do this, my youth pastor told me to do a crazy thing. And so he did. Like, everywhere you go, like, if you go to Walmart, you carry this. You go to the mall, you carry this. You go to your school, you carry this. In the locker room, okay, you got to put it in your locker room when you go run track. But that's not the point. He says, you carry this everywhere you go. And so I did, I did that, and I noticed like, that it kept me accountable because I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm carrying this Bible around. Now, if I tell people I'm a Christian and I'm carrying a Bible, I actually have to pretend or... Like, be who I say I am, but also reminded me I need to read this. And so I did this for that 30 days. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to just keep doing it. So I did it after that. I did it for the rest of my freshman year of high school. And then I did it for the entire year of my sophomore year. And then junior year and every single day of my senior year. There's nothing special about carrying a Bible, but everyone knew that the change that happened in my life was for real. Something changed. They, everyone knew who I was before. There was no getting around that, but they knew that something was changed. So my question, before we get even into this message tonight, has something changed? And if not, what is keeping that change from happening? 
So here's a recap of the series. We are in the series of Ephesians, going through Chosens. Uh, we, we started in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. This is actually the last week we're going to be in chapter 1, don't worry. Chapter 1, verse 4, this is what the whole series is based on. It says, chosen, for he chose, or are chosen in him before the foundation of the world. God has chosen you before the foundation of the world. And we know that in him, in Christ, that year is forgiveness from all your sins and mistakes. And last week, we actually went through a prayer that Paul was praying for us so that we can come to know God more, so that we can find the hope that, he, that we have in him. Tonight, we're going to actually discover what Paul was talking about when he means that power. He says, I hope or I pray that you can know God so you can discover that hope and you can experience God's power. Tonight, Paul's going to elaborate on what that power actually is. So, verse 20, if you have your Bibles, you can go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you probably were asleep last week or you just weren't here. That is okay. We record all these to put them on the podcast. You can go back and listen to all of these messages so you actually can make sense. And this is a good way that you know, like, okay, we're in chapter one this week. We're going to be in chapter two next week. We're going to just go verse by verse through this. This is the best way to go through the Bible is verse by verse because that's the only, really the only way it makes sense. Like The Bible doesn't make sense. Just read it through. That's why we're doing this this way. So verse 20, Paul, he says, he exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and given and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, to the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. This passage, the first thing I see in here, um, and all this is good news, by the way. The first thing I see is that God raised Jesus from the dead, and this is good news. Jesus was resurrected. So we see that in just verse 20. He exercises power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hands of the heavens. This is actually the main point of the whole New Testament. This thing is that the fact that Jesus risen from the dead, it's written in every single book of the New Testament. Every time somebody is writing about Jesus, every time they're preaching about Jesus, this was what they always went back to. Not just that Jesus died for our sins. We know that Jesus died for our sins. He died in our place, carrying our sin and our shame and all of our guilt. He died for us so that we don't have to bear the punishment for our sins. But Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus was resurrected. He was raised to life. Like physically, like literally physically raised to life with an actual body that people could touch and feel. It wasn't just a ghost or a spirit. He was raised from the dead. You might be asking, why is that important? I get why it's important that Jesus died for our sins. But why is it important that he resurrected? Because without the resurrection, here's here's some really good logic right here. Without the resurrection, Jesus would still be dead. That's good logic, right? Like if he didn't rise from the dead, he'd still be dead. But what that means for you is that you would actually still be dead. You would still be dead in your sins if Jesus did not rise from the dead. The longest chapter in the New Testament, here's some trivia for you if you ever do some Bible trivia. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the longest chapter in the New Testament, actually talks about the reason for the resurrection of Jesus. And it says that if Jesus actually didn't rise from the dead, then your faith would be pointless, There'd be no reason for the church. All of this would just be for a show. None of this would make sense. And so 
I would encourage you, like, if you don't actually believe Jesus raised from the dead, then you should not call yourself a Christian because without that, there is no Christianity. It's also important because that is where the power comes to have a new life. When Jesus was raised from the dead, the Bible says that he took the power of death in the hell. This is what we see in the, in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation was written after Jesus died and rose again. And as John, he has a vision of Jesus at the very end of time. Um, and Jesus, he's given him all this knowledge of what's about to happen. But this is what he says in the very first chapter. John, he says, whenever I saw him, the risen Jesus, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Says so he laid his right hand on me. He says, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. That means that in him, remember in Christ, that, that phrase that we see over and over again in the first chapter of Ephesians, in him is the best way to describe what it means to live a life in Jesus compared to the world. In him, living in Jesus, that means Satan no longer has any more power over you. That means in him, sin, the sin that so easily entangles and trips us up, it no longer has any more power over you. In Jesus, because he died, he raised the death, and he holds the keys of death and hell, the lies of the enemies that says that you are not worthy of God's love or that you're not good enough to be accepted by God or any of the other lies that this enemy whispers to you, they no longer have any power over you. Because in this passage, it says that Jesus has the ultimate authority over all things. He has the power and authority over Satan, over all of his demons, and anything else that could possibly want to harm or kill you. And that's important. That leads us to our next point. So Jesus is in charge, and we are not, and that is good news. Because Jesus raised from the dead, and because he is sitting at the right hand of God in heaven, that means that he is in charge of everything, the entire universe. Like, if that doesn't, like, make sense to you, like, it, it shouldn't, because, like, the whole universe, that, that really doesn't make sense. But he's in charge of everything, all the angels and demons. He's in charge of Satan, all that. He is the one who is in control. And here's what it says right there in verse 21 and 22. We just read this. He is far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion. Every title given, not only in this age, but the one to come, he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church. That means, Paul, he's just trying to wrap everything up. Because the people in Ephesus, remember Paul is writing to a specific people, they believed in a bunch of like other false gods. They believed in a bunch of powers and authorities. They believed in a very real spiritual realm. But he's saying that Jesus, the one that we serve, he's better than all of those. He's better than anything that you could ever imagine. He's, he's more powerful than anything that would ever want to harm you. What that means for us is that we think that there is actually a great battle happening between God and Satan. Like whenever you turn on the TV, it's always like God and Satan, like they're going at it. Or whenever you see the people with the, the angel and the devil on their shoulder, we think that there's an equal fight. We think that there's a battle happening between God and the devil, but that is not right. The devil has been defeated. Remember that verse in, Re in Revelation? It says, behold, I am the one who was dead, but now I am alive and I hold the keys of death and hell. That means Jesus defeated the devil. The devil has been defeated. He knows that in the end, he does not win. He knows that. Jesus defeated him. But that, mean, that does not mean that the war is not over. The devil is defeated. 
but he is still smart and he's still crafty and he still desires to still kill and destroy. He still desires to blind you from the truth of the gospel and from seeing the good news of Jesus. And he still has power to lie and to deceive us. He's still a threat. He's not one to fear. You might be thinking like, what kind of church did I get myself into? We believe in a very real enemy, a very real saint that desires nothing but the worst for you. Those moments of depression and loneliness, those moments of not feeling enough, those moments of like when you just feel like darkness is over you, that's what he desires for you. He's like, yes, get, let's get you more into that. We serve a very real God, but there is a very real enemy. He is still a threat. He's not one to fear. We should not be afraid because Jesus is in control. But we still should know his schemes and how to fight him. The book of Ephesians is actually one of the most prominent books in the New Testament on how to actually fight spiritual warfare. We're going to get more into that later on in this, in this series. But tonight, talking about how Jesus is in control of that, we need to understand the schemes of the devil. Like if we really believe that Jesus is in charge and in control, but we also believe that there's a very real enemy who wants to still kill and destroy, we need to know how he works. The devil's only way to attack you is by lies. Lies and deception. The devil can't make you sin. As Christians, he can't possess you or live inside you. He can't make you do anything if the Spirit of God is already living inside you. But you also have a flesh. And the flesh part of you, we have a spirit, soul, and flesh. The flesh part of you, the sinful nature part of you, still has a desire to sin. And so the devil knows that, and so he whispers lies. He says, you should just act on that. Just do that. And so that's how the enemy comes. He comes in, to, in lies, in deception, and he whispers lies to deceive you, to make you doubt the goodness of God, and to act on your flesh. And the only way to defend against the attacks of the devil is to know the truth in who you are in Christ. If the devil comes with lies to attack and deceive us, the only way that we can win is to know what the truth is and to believe that and to act on it and to live on that. And that's what the whole first chapter of Ephesians is actually about. We will see in Ephesians chapter six, it says this is how you fight spiritual warfare. But I would argue that Ephesians chapter one is the most practical thing that you can actually do to fight spiritual warfare. Because that, the whole chapter is about who you are in Christ. It's about the truths. Any lie that the devil is going to come and try to throw at you, that you're not good enough, that you won't ever be accepted by God, that you should just end it all, or any other kind of lie that the devil come and whisper to you, the book of Ephesians in chapter 1, it has the truths that counter that. Because it talks about who you are in Christ. And we, we see this, and starting in verse 4 and going on, it says, you are chosen. In Christ, you are forgiven. In Christ, you are blessed. In Christ, you are seen as holy. You are seen as blameless. You are adopted as children of God. That means God's never going to throw you out. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. God chose to die for you before you ever chose to live in him. That is who you are and how God sees you. But the devil wants to distort that and to make you doubt that. If the devil can make you doubt all those things about who you are in God, he can make you do a lot of things. He make you believe crazy things. And that's honestly, that's where the, like, we talk about depression, anxiety all the time. We see studies about how it's an all-time high. 
when you start to believe, if you truly believe and you have your identity in Christ, that is how we counter that. When you feel doubt, whenever you feel an attack from the devil, whenever you start to feel down, go back and read that first chapter of Ephesians and read it and reread it and then declare it and start to speak it over you. Start to believe it until you believe the truth over the lies. We need to know. Tonight's not about spiritual warfare, but you need to know that Jesus is in control and that at the end, Jesus and his people win. The last thing that we see in this chapter is that God has given us a mission to complete, and this is good news. So we see that in verses 22 and 23. He subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. So the Bible refers to the church in the Bible as the body of Christ. Like, think about that. It's trying to give us an imagery. Like, if you, like, what am I trying to say? You know what a body is. Jesus is the head and you are the body. That means some of us are the arms, some of us are the, the torso, some of us are the legs. Jesus is the head. He is in charge and we are the ones who do the work. That means that Jesus has entrusted us to do his work. He's given you a mission. So what that means. So we know from the attacks of the enemy. We know from our past weeks that there are people in your life who are blind to the good news of Jesus. There's people in your life who don't actually know the gospel. Maybe they know about it. Maybe they know about God or Jesus. But there's people who's blind to the truth about what God sees in them. And so... before they ever come to Jesus, like they're just blind to it. They don't know they should come to forgiveness. They, they, they feel like they're broken, but they don't know what to do about it. And so they look in all the wrong ways. You know these people. And the devil, he's really good at keeping people away from Jesus. I hear every week whenever I go to your schools, whenever I meet a new person, I'm like, hey, you should come to church with me or you should come to church with your friend who's sitting right here. And I hear people all the time, like, they have so many excuses. Like, you know what it is. Like, whenever you invite a friend, you're like, I have to do this, I have to do that. And I'm not mad whenever I hear that, but when I hear that, I'm like, something just breaks my heart. I'm like, I know, I know if you came and you experienced the life that you would be changed my heart breaks because I see some brokenness and I see them looking in all the wrong directions and I see them struggling and I see if you would just know, if you could just understand this, how good God is, just how much he wants to love and accept and forgive you and give you a brand new life. They're blind to the fact that they are broken and need a savior. So we have a mission as, as a church We have a mission as Christians. The main mission, we see it in the Bible, is called the Great Commission. But to put it simply, our main mission as Christians, the reason why we are saved, the reason why God has called us is because we are to make, or we are to know Jesus and to make him known. If you think about how the church got here, the church didn't just appear overnight. It's because somebody saw Jesus rise from the dead and they told somebody else. And then they told somebody else. And then they told somebody else. And that is why we're here today as a church and why there's billions of Christians all around the world. It's because somebody told them about Jesus. That's the way this thing works. That's the way, every, like if somebody's going to come 
to Jesus, it's because somebody's going to tell them that God loves them and that God wants to accept them and forgive them. They won't just understand it automatically. Somebody needs to tell them the truth. Jesus is the only hope in the world. He is the only way to God. And Jesus is saying that you are the church, that you are my body. Jesus is saying that you are the hands and the feet. The, the work on the church, it's not just on the pastors and it's not just on the leaders in the back. God has given this mission, this mission that's been going on for 2,000 years. He's giving it to you guys. You think I'm in seventh grade. I'm not, I'm, I'm not qualified to do that. Sorry, right. I'm not qualified for it either. You're like, I'm in eighth grade. I'm in ninth grade. There's, there's really not an excuse. The God of the universe, he is calling you to be a part of a mission that's so much bigger than you could ever imagine. And I know there's so many of us, we want to make a difference. You're called to do something that's bigger than yourself. Think about it. How many of you guys actually want to make a difference in the world that leaves a legacy and that people remember. Like, think about it. Like, try to think 80 years from now, whenever you die. Okay, maybe that's kind of more. Okay, I'll be optimistic. 100 years from now. You guys are all going to live to be 115, okay? Think about that. Whenever you leave this earth, how many of you guys want to say, I made a difference. I have no regrets. I'm leaving a legacy, and people are going to remember what I did. Is that anybody? I believe that. I, I want that too. I want to make a difference. I don't want to just coast through the world and coast through life and be like, Matthew who? I don't even know. Like, okay, whatever. But the challenge that God has given us is don't wait. Don't wait. The mission that God has given us, it's, it's a mission that has a, of eternal significance. A lot of us, we want to make a difference. It's but the difference we want to make is that people would notice and acknowledge us, and that we can build up our own kingdoms and our own empires, and that we can have our name on the side of buildings or whatever. But the, the mission that God's calling you to do, it's so much bigger than that. And it's going to make such a more difference in the world because it is an eternal difference. And that's telling somebody about Jesus. The mission that we have, it's so much more important than you, what you care about what people think about you at school. The mission that God is giving you, for some people that you know, it is a matter of life or death. It's way more important than being liked at school or making friends at school or if somebody wants to be or come to your house or not. It's so much more important than that. God is calling you to make a difference that will impact eternity. And that happens with sharing Jesus. First, it happens with you experiencing. Like if you've never experienced the love of God, I pray that that happens to you. If you've never had that experience like, that you actually acknowledge, like I'm broken, but God loved me anyways. I pray that happens to you. But that must happen first because once that happens, you realize I was, I was lost, but now I'm saved. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I need that to happen with people around me. That's how that happens. And it happens by sharing Jesus. You see that friend who's across from the lunchroom, like something Seems wrong with him. I'm just, just going to talk to him. Hey, how are you doing? Have you heard about my friend Jesus? Just kidding, don't do it like that. There's a lot of really corny ways that don't work. But it comes with being friends. It comes with acknowledging, hey, how are you doing today? And most often than not, if I can get you guys back, I never really had to do that. Whenever I started sharing my faith with people, 
whenever I started inviting people to church. And whenever I was coming to church, like we had a van that ran through my town, Glimpool. The church was in Tulsa. We're 15, 16 of my friends were coming because they saw something that was different in me. I never really had to go and like look around. I'm like, okay, who needs to hear about Jesus today? Who needs to get hit by the Bible today? I never did that. But people would come up to me and be like, what's different about you? What's changed? Or they'd be like, why do you carry that Bible around? Like, why are you doing that? Or what church do you go to? I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a church. So, or what, they'll stop me in the middle of the hallway. And they'll be like, will you pray for me? My grandpa's in the hospital. I'm like, I don't even know you, dude. But they know, and they hardly even knew me, but they knew that something was different. Like, this guy's carrying his Bible around. Maybe he has a connection with God or something. I, I wasn't, I didn't have all the answers. I wasn't a preacher. I, I just... I just loved God, and I knew something was changed and different in me. But that gave me the opportunity to share the love of Jesus. People ask me, what is different about you? I'm like, I, I don't know. But I know that something changed, and it needs to happen to you too, because now I feel meaning and purpose and satisfaction in my life. It just all makes sense to me now, and I just can't explain it, but you just need to come to church. You need to experience it with me, with me too. That's all I knew how to do. But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit gives you what you need. So you'd be like, I, I'm not qualified to share Jesus. None of us really are. If we think about what it takes to qualify us, to talk about the holy God who's in charge of the universe, none of us are really qualified. But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit gives us what we need. It starts with the changed life. When people notice that, like what changed about you? God gives us the Holy Spirit. And this is also another reason why it's important that God raised him from the dead. We see in, in Romans 8, 11, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That's, just, that's a crazy statement in the Bible. Like, let's just stop right there. The spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. Imagine what that looked like whenever Jesus was actually raised from the dead. It says that there was an earthquake and the people were all terrified. And there's some weird facts I'm not going to get into. But that was a terrifying thing. That was an, a powerful event in that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that same power when you accept Jesus and, and your life is changed, lives inside of you. He lives inside of you. Then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through the spirit who lives in you. When you trust in and you rely on Jesus, he gives you the power you need to do the calling that he's calling you to do. Jesus doesn't call the equipped, but he equips those he calls. Jesus doesn't just ask the people who have it all together. Jesus doesn't just ask the people who know all the answers, but he gives the answer to those he calls. He, he's calling you. He says, I don't have everything. He's like, that's okay, I'll give you what you need. If you want to change life, I'll give you a changed life. If you want a testimony, I'll give you a testimony. If you want the words to say so that people come to know me, I'm going to give you the words to say so that people can come to know me. It's a matter of life or death for some people. Because here's the truth of the Bible. Is that if somebody who's dead in their sins, if they die, they're going to stay dead in their sins if they come to church and they find Jesus, not just come to church for pizza, not just come to church for endless cereal bowls or dodgeball, but when they come to church and they find Jesus, they find the answer to life, then they will be made new. 
They will be free. They will be changed. And I, I'm not just giving this as a plug so we get more people to church, I promise. My heart is, is deeper than that. My heart is for people, for lives to be changed. Next week is going to be a great week if you know somebody who needs to hear about Jesus. Because next week, you can read it already ahead of time. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. It is one of my favorite passages in the Bible, and I'm not just saying that. It is so powerful. We're going to talk about life change, about why we need life change, how it happens, the way that God works in that. It is going to be a powerful night. If you know somebody who needs to hear about Jesus, next week is going to be a powerful night of them hearing about Jesus. And hopefully and prayerfully, they can come and give their life to Jesus, and they can be made new and forgiven and freed. The band will go ahead and come back. Here's another great reason why Jesus had to be raised from the dead. We know that Jesus raised from the dead, and that makes us alive in him. Jesus raised from the dead, and that means the same spirit that raised him lives inside of you. But it also has to do with you being saved. Like it's the very core thing of what it qualifies for you to actually be saved, for you to say, I'm being born again, I'm new. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Like saved from what? Like if you are serious about this, you should be asking the question, what are we saved from? What does it mean to be saved? You're saved from hell, from eternity in hell. You're saved from the wrath of God. You're saved from living a meaningless life. You're saved from living a life that has no joy in it or no purpose. You're saved from yourself because by ourselves we are broken. So tonight, with every head bowed and every eye closed, 